open your Bibles with me to John chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 46 through 51. Find it here. So far in John's Gospel, we've seen Jesus after this miraculous feeding of the 5,000. There's a discussion that comes up after this miraculous feeding. And Jesus has been continually pointing these people, these crowds, the Jews, to their great need, and really our great need. That he's fed them with physical food, miraculously provided, and yet they're still hungry. They've seen a miraculous sign, this multiplying of the bread, and they still want more. It's not enough. And so Jesus is... He's relentless. He is continuing to point these people to their great need, which is to come to him, to eat of this true bread from heaven, to believe in him, and to trust in him alone. And what we've seen repeatedly, week after week, we've been in John 6 for a while, is the people don't want this. They don't want this bread. It's boring to them. It's, it's not flashy. And, and, they, and they reject it. They want another miracle. They want Jesus to do another sign, or they want to work. They want to do something. Jesus, what do we need to do? How can we work our way to salvation? And it can be frustrating as we read John 6, because we're just, we're just struck with how hard-hearted these people are. The incarnate Christ was standing right in front of them, and they're rejecting him. They'd rather have another meal, a free lunch, rather than Christ. But in a lot of ways, this is you and me. <laughs> this is us. This is how we can continually think that, yes, maybe Christ saves us, but what work do I need to do to, to really finalize my salvation? Or maybe I just need another sign from heaven, another miracle that God can do in my life that will really convince me that way I'll really believe. And in many ways, this is us just simply not being satisfied with Christ and Him alone. And so, so as we saw last week, Christ here is pointing these people to their great need and our great need, and that is for God to act. <laughs> that these people are hard-hearted, and you and I, at least before we came to Christ, were hard-hearted. And so our Savior is showing us, and specifically last week, our need for God to act. That these people and us have no hope without a radical work of God in our very hearts. And this is what Jesus talked about in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. He said, you can't even see the kingdom until you've been born again. You need the Spirit of God to work in your soul, to regenerate you, to make you alive. As Jesus said last week, this drawing of the Father, this calling of the Father that was promised in the Old Testament that all would be taught by the Lord, that God's people would be given new hearts with the law written on it, that their sin would be forgiven, and Jesus is calling these people to this great work of God. That it's not a work of man, it's not something that they can do or muster up, but it is something that God must do. And I wonder how many of us this morning know people, or maybe even ourselves, who are, are like this crowd, who are working our way to salvation, who think that it's by our works that we're saved, or 
Maybe we know people that are just looking for a sign, right? If God would just do this thing in my life, give me this job, give me this amount of money, then, then I would trust him. And so hopefully what we'll see this morning is that we don't just need a work. We don't need a sign. We don't need a miracle. We need a new heart. We need a Savior that can work in our hearts and save us from our sins. We need faith in Him alone. And so to just sort of preview where we're going this morning in John chapter 6, we'll see our Lord continue to point these people and us to Himself. His unique identity as the only eternally begotten Son of God, and to Himself as the sole and alone source of eternal life and these people's need to have true saving faith that lasts. And so I'll read our passage this morning, I'll pray for us, and then we'll, we'll look at this passage. I'm going to start back at verse 41 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say I have come down from heaven? But Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We stand on it alone this morning, and as we come to hear your word and to see the gospel this morning in John chapter 6, we pray that we would have our eyes open this morning, that the Spirit of God would work in our hearts, would shine the light of the knowledge of Christ, of the gospel into our hearts, that faith would rise up in us, and that we would take hold of Christ and him crucified this morning, the bread from heaven, the life of the world. And we pray that in our weakness, in our, in our trials, and in our tribulations, that you would point us to Christ this morning as our only hope of salvation, and that we would have saving faith in him alone. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. One of my first classes in college was a drawing class. And one of the first assignments that we do, we get in this big room, a big square room, and then you all sit in a circle, and there's an easel, and you have a big piece of paper. And usually there's something in the middle of the room that everybody looks at, observes, and draws. And there was nothing there. And our professor, the first thing he told us to do was to draw our phones. But we couldn't pull our phones out of our pocket. <laughs> 
And he said, we're so used to observing the world and we think we see when we really don't. It's something we spend hours at. My phone just told me how many hours I spent this week, a day, looking at my phone. And it's a lot of hours, sadly, right? But we, we spent hours looking at this thing and we were all supposed to draw our phones and we did a terrible job, right? <laughs> you know, we got the basic shape and maybe where the home button's at. But the details, the finer points, you'd think something that you'd look at for hours a day, you would be able to draw perfectly but we couldn't because we're not really seeing. We were looking at it, but we weren't really observing or looking. And what we're gonna see today is that there is a seeing that is not truly seen. There is a eating, but that's not truly eating. There's a observing, there's a faith, there's a seeking after Christ that's not true faith. And so what Christ is going to point us to in this passage is our need to truly see to truly behold, to truly eat and drink of Him. Not in this sort of worldly sense of just sort of seeing, but not truly seeing. And so that's what we're going to look at today in our passage. And you'll, there's a handout for you if you want to follow along. We'll look at these three points. In verse 46, we'll see the unseen Father, the invisible God, and in verses 47 through 48, we'll see the nature of saving faith, both the need for saving faith and the object of our faith. And then finally, we'll look at this living bread that's come down from heaven. And so we, we see in verse 46 that Jesus sort of continues his, his discussion with these Jewish leaders with a sort of strange qualification. He's just talked about how no one can come to him unless the Father draws him, that he'll raise him up on the last day, and that everyone who hears and learns from the Father will come to the Son. And then he says this in verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. So Jesus is saying here, no one has seen God. No one has seen God. Why is he saying this? Well, in one sense, this is not very strange, right? If we know our Old Testament, Moses in Exodus, he asked to see the face of the Lord, to see the glory of the Lord. And what does God say? No man can see me and live. <laughs> no man can see me and live. What did we see in Isaiah 6? Isaiah has this vision of the Lord in his temple. And even the holy angels who are sinless are covering their faces, covering their feet, they cannot see the Lord in his full glory and splendor. And we've referenced 1 Timothy this morning, and we know John 4, that God is invisible. He is spirit. He's not made up of material. He's not an old man in the sky. God is spirit. He is invisible, and his essence can't be comprehended with physical eyes, right? So God is, can't be seen physically. But Jesus says that someone has seen the Father. So what is, he, what is he talking about? He had No one can see God, but someone has seen the Father. What is, what is he saying here? I think in one sense he's trying to help these people understand that what it means to hear and learn from the Father is not a physical, audible hearing or learning from the Father. It's not a visible seeing of the Father. It's not an audible hearing of His voice. It's not being instructed by Him physically that it's something different, that there's a need for someone that has seen God to mediate, that, that there's this mediator that's necessary. And what He says at the end of 40, 
verse 46 is that one person has seen God. One has seen God, and he's talking there about himself. The one who is from God, the Son of God, he has seen the Father. There's a lot I want to say about this, and I'm going to try to make it succinct, but this is a massive verse. This is Jesus saying that he has seen the Father in a way that no one else has seen the Father. That he, as the eternally begotten one, as the Nicene Creed says, begotten, not made, the same essence as the Father, that he, the Son of God, has seen the Father, but not physically, not with physical eyes, but he's talking here about the perfect personal communion he has with the Father. This is Jesus talking about the inter-Trinitarian, there's your big word for the day, intra-Trinitarian communion that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit share. That in their divine nature, they are in perfect communion with one another. And this scene here is not a physical scene, it's sort of an, amorph an um, anthropomorphic language to talk about the fact that the Son is in perfect communion with the Father. This is what Jesus is saying here. And we know this if we've read John's Gospel, right? The prologue, John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. This withness of God. And then what does verse 18 say in chapter 1? That this Word has taken on flesh and has made Him known. Literally meaning exegeted. He's made the Father known. So Jesus is saying here, to quote another theologian, No one can know the Father except through Christ who has made him known. And no one can come to the Son unless he's heard from the Father who makes the Son known. I had to think about that statement for like 20 minutes. So you can listen back to that later and write it down and think about that. But that the, the Son here, what Jesus is saying is, I'm making the Father known. I'm the one that's seen the Father, and I am making Him known. That is His mission. And so that really leads us into the second point, this topic of saving faith. That the whole purpose of Christ coming, taking on flesh, what He did in His earthly ministry, performing miracles, healing people, talking about His work, what He came to do, he is coming to make the Father known. <laughs> He's coming to make God's plan and mission of salvation known. He's come to do the will of the Father, as he said earlier in this passage. He's come to accomplish redemption for God's people. He's come to show the works of God. Even his works bear witness that he's from the Father. And so... He's come to make the Father known so that he can say in verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. He's pointing them to saving faith. I've come to make the Father's plan known so that by faith you might have eternal life. And so he points them to two things in verses 47 through 48. He points them to their need of saving faith that these people needed saving faith. There was no work that could save them. There was no extra miracle that could, you know, just be the light switch that turns on. There's no physical vision of the Father that could convince them that faith alone was the only way that this bread from heaven was going to be life-giving to them. And that is 
what they needed to believe <laughs> in Christ alone through faith alone that as we talked about this morning faith is what unites us to Christ it's the it's the sole instrument the alone instrument of our justification justification that it's not faith in and of itself but it's faith in Christ it's faith in him his works not faith plus our good deeds faith plus our works but it's as we confess this morning it's receiving Christ and resting on him alone this is their need for saving faith but then Jesus points them not just to their need, but to the object of their faith. And he says in verse 48, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. That he points them to himself. He says there's no other bread, there's no other means by which you're going to be saved. It's by looking to me. That this faith is not a work, it's not something that we muster up, it's not about the size of our faith, it's about the object of our faith, namely Christ alone. And so by faith we know that we are united to Christ in his death, his burial, his resurrection. This is what Christ is saying. This is why he can say, whoever believes has eternal life. It's a present reality. It's a current reality for the people of God. Yes, it has, you know, end times implications that those will be raised on the last day. Jesus has talked about this. But for those that believe, he says, have eternal life. That there's something about this eternal life that is a present reality for us as Christians. That we can say we enjoy eternal life even now. It's begun this new creation work in our hearts. But it's not just that it's a present reality. It has lasting effects. It has lasting effects. There's something about this bread of life. There's something about this bread from heaven that's different than the bread from the world. This bread from heaven it endures, it lasts, it doesn't fade away, it doesn't perish, its effects aren't temporary, it is eternal. And so Jesus, to illustrate this contrast between the bread of the world and the bread from heaven, he contrasts this and he uses an illustration from the Old Testament. This brings us to our third point. He talks about the living bread. And he does this by contrasting this illustration from the Old Testament. He says in verse 49, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. Now, if you've been with us through John chapter 6, we've seen the parallels between what happened in the Old Testament and what's happened here in John chapter 6. That in the Old Testament, the people had just been led through the Exodus. They'd gone through the Red Sea on dry ground. They'd been led on their wilderness journey to the Promised Land. And the Lord provides miraculous food for them in the form of manna that comes down from the sky, from heaven. And the people... Even though they eat of this bread, even though they partake of this bread, they grumble. They complain. We want to go back to Egypt. They had better food there. We want to go back to slavery. We like the food that they provided. 
And so Jesus says here in verse 49 that the fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. What is, what is he saying here? Two things. This manna in the wilderness, Jesus is contrasting it with the bread from heaven. He says this manna, even though they ate of it, they still perish. They still die. That the first thing is this manna didn't sustain eternally. This manna didn't sustain eternally, right? It filled their bellies in the wilderness for a moment. These fathers that he's talking about, the people of Israel in the Old Testament, they ate the manna. It filled their stomachs. They didn't have to gather more until the next day. So it, it sustained them, but it was temporary. Its effects faded. It, it, just like me and you, right? We eat a meal, and then in a couple hours, we're hungry again. Or sometimes shorter than that, if we're honest. So even though this miraculous manna from heaven, even though it was still miraculous, it was just bread. It was just ordinary bread. It, it, had lasting, it didn't have lasting effects. So this manna didn't sustain them eternally. And secondly, this manna didn't save them spiritually. This manna didn't save them spiritually. That in and of itself, this manna from heaven, they ate it, but it didn't save them. And not only did they simply die in the wilderness, right, because they were judged by God, but they're almost held up in the scriptures as a bad example. <laughs> if you go to Hebrews chapter 4, it, it talks about even the psalm that we read this morning. The psalm continues and points out this wilderness generation as those that had an unbelieving hard heart, that they grumbled against the Lord, they rebelled against the Lord, they had hearts of unbelief. And what Jesus is doing here is amazing. We've said it several times, but it bears repeating. He has recreated this moment in the wilderness. He has recreated this manna from heaven. Just as the people in the wilderness had manna come from heaven, miraculous bread multiplied, Jesus has done the same thing in feeding the 5,000. He's multiplied the bread. Just as this bread came from heaven in the Old Testament, so Jesus is the one that's come from heaven and miraculously given them bread. And just as the people in the Old Testament grumbled against the Lord and complained, we read this morning that these people are doing the same thing. And so Jesus is saying, don't miss the point. Don't miss what the people in the Old Testament missed. Your fathers, they're in the same boat. They ate this physical bread and they still died. This earthly bread runs out. It perishes. Just like the earthly pleasures of this world. They run out. They perish. And Jesus is saying, this bread from heaven, the bread that I give, it will not perish. It will not perish run out, that this bread, this true bread from heaven, Christ himself, will sustain and it will save. That the Son of God, in taking on human flesh as the incarnate suffering servant, he has come to provide his people with the true bread from heaven. He's come to provide his people with the true bread from heaven. That for those that come to him, believe in him, eat of this bread, they will not hunger, they won't thirst, 
they will have eternal life and their souls will be satisfied in him alone. And he says that this bread that he gives is his flesh, his very flesh. And what I believe our Lord is pointing to here is his atoning substitutionary death on the cross. That what is required for his people to have life, eternal life, is not just for the Savior to live for them, but to die in their place. And for all of those that feed on this bread with the eyes of faith, they will not die, they will not perish like the people in the wilderness, but they will have eternal life and they will be with Christ forever. This is what John 6 is talking about. So as we step back, as we do each week, we have to try to, we have to look and see what is God trying to tell us through his word here? What is, what is some things that we can glean from this passage? And the first one we see is why we proclaim Christ from all the scriptures. <laughs> why we proclaim Christ from all the scriptures. We can't forget what Jesus said in John chapter 5. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. It is they that bear witness about me. That Christ, his person and his work are the scope of all the scriptures. That the fulfillment and the substance of all the types and shadows in the Old Testament reach their climax, their culmination in the person and work of Christ. That the Exodus event, the parting of the Red Sea, this manna from heaven, the rock that was cleft and water spilled out, they're all pictures of what Christ would do, saving his people from slavery, bringing them through the waters of judgment, raining bread from heaven on them that sustains them, and bringing living water that will never run dry. Christ has come to accomplish this work. This is what Jesus is saying. <laughs> and he's saying something very particular here. And this is what we call typology. Jesus is saying, what I'm doing, it's like the Old Testament, but it's greater. It's like the Old Testament, right? There's bread from heaven. There's salvation from slavery. There's parting through judgment waters. But it's greater than what the people experienced in the Old Testament. And we can say with this theologian that Jesus here is identifying himself as the fulfillment of the manna in the wilderness. That just as the children of Israel were sustained by the bread from heaven as they sojourned toward the promised land, so the followers of Jesus will be sustained by the bread from heaven eating and drinking of him until he raises them on the last day for everlasting life in the new and better promised land. That this is how you and I are sustained. <laughs> There's no other bread. There's no other source of life for the believer than feeding on Christ. This is how we are sustained. And to just make a sort of side point here, 1 Corinthians 10 says that true believers, even in the Old Testament, ate and drank of Christ by faith. That there were some believers in the Old Testament that looked at the manna from heaven and they said, 
We need something more than just physical bread. We need a mediator that's going to provide not just physical bread from heaven, but true living bread. That for believers in the Old Testament, Christ was revealed through these promises and types and shadows. The benefits of Christ, his life and death and resurrection, were communicated to the believers in the Old Testament through these. And so we can say that believers in the Old Testament were looking to Christ just as we look back to Christ and what, he done, what he's done. And so this is Christ in the Old Testament. Christ is saying, this is, I'm the fulfillment. I'm the purpose. I'm the substance of all that the Old Testament pointed to. It's me. This is the power of God as we preach Christ from all the scriptures. And secondly, today, it's important that we ask this question. Maybe you're already asking it. How do I eat of this bread? How do I eat of this bread? How do I feed on Christ today, right? Our passage says we can't see the Father. There's no physical vision we're going to have of God. Christ has ascended to the right hand of God, so we can't touch him physically. How do we feed on Christ? And the answer that Scripture gives is with the eyes of faith. With the eyes of faith. That there's no other way to feed on Christ than to behold him in the preaching of Christ and him crucified. His finished work on the cross for sinners. His active obedience. Living the life that we could not live. Perfectly obeying the commands of the law. Never failing at any point. For us. Giving us his righteousness. And secondly, his finished work of passive obedience, his perfect suffering for us, taking the curse that we deserved in our place, condemned, he stood. And the way that we feed on Christ this morning is not by some work that we do, some external thing. It's so easy for us to think, surely there's more. Surely it's more complicated than faith. <laughs> surely there's something I need to do. There's a work I need to perform. There's money I need to give. Maybe it's my personal devotion, how many hours I spend doing something. Surely that will merit eternal life. And what Jesus is saying here is whoever believes, whoever looks to me, whoever eats this bread will live forever. Whoever receives Christ, whoever rests on him alone for salvation, this is the language of open hands. It's receiving. It's not, not trying to hand things out. It's receiving the active and passive obedience of Christ by faith. And so as we think about how do we practically feed on Christ, it's by beholding him, by looking to him, by attending the preaching of the word, by coming together with the people of God and worshiping Him in spirit and in truth, in attending the means of grace, the Lord's Supper, baptism, prayer. These are how we feed on Christ, how we're spiritually nourished, <laughs> is when we see with the eyes of faith, Christ has done it all, there's nothing that I could do. That is how we are fed and sustained on our wilderness journey. Because if we're honest, if we're just honest for five minutes, True believers get weak and needy. True believers get weak and needy and hungry. And there's weeks that are harder than others. Weeks where it feels like our faith is 
is under attack. Our faith is weak. It's, it's in distress. And so each week as we come to worship God on the Lord's Day, we're reminded that our faith is in Christ alone. It's not the strength of our faith, but it's the object of our faith. And our object is the manna that's come down from heaven who gives life to his people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you from this living bread from heaven who has come down in the fullness of time, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That we've done nothing to earn this. If anything, we've done everything to not earn it. Our sin, our iniquity, our transgression has spit on God, and yet in the person and work of Christ, you've come and made a way of salvation, a new and better exodus through Christ, who has saved us not from slavery to Egypt, but slavery to our sin. And so we pray this morning that we would feed on Christ through this wilderness journey. Lord, we are sojourners and exiles and aliens in this world until we reach heaven, the promised land that you have purchased, that you have entered for us. And so this, this Sunday, we look forward to that rest that you have purchased, that Joshua couldn't purchase, but that the true Joshua has. We rest in him alone this morning, and we look with the eyes of faith, knowing that you have done it all, and that our faith is in you alone. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.